I have to begin with a story that happened a few weeks ago. Um, you know, in this season, uh, it's warm and then it's cold and then it's warm and then it's cold. And so as a, as a, a gentleman, I'm, I'm carrying a coat and then some things and you, you have a coat one day and you don't have a coat the next day. And so that plays a part into this story. And it was beautiful, uh, beautiful day. And I thought it was spring. And so I jumped, I was up here studying and working and I started to get hungry a little and so I jumped in my truck and took off down the road and ended up at one of my favorite restaurants, Chick-fil-A. So me and everybody else wrapping, wrapping around the building. And so I'm in the line and I'm just singing and worshiping the Lord, have the you know, music on, the windows down and everybody else is doing the same thing, excited you know, that spring is coming and I'm just ready, ready to eat, and I probably waited too late, uh, you know, so I'm really, really hungry, and I'm racing the guy in the other lane to get in front of him and get my order in and just paying attention to the people and noticing how many people are in the drive through and I get up uh, to, I'm the, there's a car ahead of me getting their food, and, and I'm thinking, all right, this is going to be great. I'm, I ordered one of my favorite uh, Things that Chick-fil-A is a market salad. And I'm ready to get my market salad. I could almost taste it. If this person ahead of me would just hurry up. And so I'm going through the routine of, okay, now I need to pay. And so I'm looking for my wallet. And I can tell that some of you have been at that place too. Now this was the first time, the first time, this is by God's grace, the first time that I had ever been in the drive-through line and realized that I didn't have any way to pay for it. And so I'm going through this in my mind. How do I handle this? This is embarrassing. There's about 20 cars behind me, and I don't want to be rude and just drive off. And I'm going through all these thoughts, and what do I do, and what do I say? And I'm really embarrassed, and I just can't believe that I did this. And, but the office, and I'm thinking the office is just down the road, and, and I can tell them to hold on my salad. I'll just go down the road, and, and I'll be right back and just write my name on top of it, and I'll be right back. You know? So I've got it all figured out. I drive up, and they're smiling. They're nice, and I'm writ in the face. You know, I didn't know what to say. You just, you're at a loss for words. And I said, I'm sorry, have you ever had anybody to drive up here and say, and I'm not, I'm being truthful, I don't have the money with me, but my office is just down the road, and I can come back. And she said, wait, 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 wait. And she called another girl over to her, and she said, hey, so-and-so, can we comp this? And I'm like, what? And the girl said, yeah, yeah. So she writes on the ticket. The girl hands it to me and said, be blessed. And so I'm overwhelmed. I'm ashamed and embarrassed because I didn't have the money. I mean, I had the money, but it wasn't with me. And then I'm just overwhelmed by the gratitude and the gratefulness. And what do I say? Thank you. And what did she say? It's my pleasure to serve you. Wow. So, Truett Cathy at that moment made an impression on me. And this man, Truett Cathy, studied serving people. And he was a Christian. I mean, this is a tribute to 
a man that really cared about people more than he did about chicken burgers, or I think you call them chicken burgers or chicken sandwiches or, you know. <laughs> um, and as much as Truett Cathy wanted to serve people and please people, and he realized that there was pleasure associated with that, that the, the story goes that he was staying at uh, Ritz-Carlton, and when he went to say thank you to one of the workers at the Ritz-Carlton, the Ritz-Carlton worker said, my pleasure. And it made such a profound impact on him that he started asking questions about their customer service and how they train their people. And then he said, when customers come into our restaurant, we want them to have an exceptional service, an exceptional experience. And so that produced this, it's my pleasure. And it's my pleasure to serve you. And God's vision for the body of Christ is us taking pleasure in serving. That's what it's about. Guys, it's, it's the we church, not the me church. We're here to serve one another and love one another. And in serving and in loving one another, there's pleasure. There's pleasure. There's extreme pleasure in serving one another. So you're over at Mark chapter 9, right? Jesus said that the way up is down. Mark chapter 9 and verse 30 in the New Living Translation said, Leaving that region, they traveled through Galilee, and Jesus didn't want anyone to know that he was there, for he wanted to spend more time with his disciples and teach them. Now, I want to make a little side note there. Um, Jesus was a man of priorities, and his priorities drew boundaries. Isn't that interesting? He didn't want anybody to know that he was there because he wanted to spend more time with his disciples teaching them. That's kind of a side note. No, no charge for that, but let's keep moving through the passage. I thought it was interesting. Did you think it was interesting that Jesus drew boundaries and he said he didn't want anybody to know that he was there and made time for his disciples? He was a man who served. And loved to serve and found pleasure in it. He said to them, his disciples, The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of his enemies. And he'll be killed, uh, but three days later he will rise from the dead. They didn't understand what he was saying, however. And they were afraid to ask him what he meant. After they arrived at Capernaum and settled in a house, Jesus asked his disciples, What were you discussing out on the road? But they didn't answer because they had been arguing about which of them was the greatest. Now, there were three times that they argued about which was the greatest. And uh, the last time that they argued about which was the greatest was over in Luke chapter uh, 22 and verse 24 at the Last Supper. They were having a dispute about who was the greatest at the Last Supper. Three times. I mean, I think that there was probably more times. They just weren't recorded but these guys traveled with Jesus, and they were so eager to serve, they just they wanted to be the first in line. But here's what Jesus said. He sat down, called the 12 disciples over to him, and he said, Whoever wants to be first must take last place and be the servant of everyone else. So with that one statement, Jesus settled the question, Who is the greatest? The greatest is the one that is willing to take last place. To not fight to be in the front of the line. You know, and I was thinking how 
there were 12 of these guys, and surely not all 12 of his disciples actually believed that they were better than everyone else. You know, you had some in there that had some uh, personality conflicts, and, and they were conflicted in their own personality, like doubting Thomas. I don't know that he really believed in himself that much. So I can't see maybe that Thomas wanted to be number one, but I'm sure that Thomas didn't want to be number 12 either, you know? Have you ever been there and they're picking up teams in kickball in the elementary school and you know you're not going to get picked first, but you surely don't want to be picked last, right? But Jesus said, if you're willing to be last, then you've got a servant's heart. You've got a humble attitude, right? You don't have to be first. So I said in Luke 22 that at the Last Supper, Jesus also had to deal with this pride issue. And it, if you read Luke 22, 24 and the dispute that they had about who was to be number one, it, it really shows how powerful pride is and how difficult it is to humble yourself. But Jesus settled the issue of serving when he pointed to himself. And said, you know, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. And then in John 13, John 13, verses 12 through 17, the New Living Translation talks about the Last Supper. And Jesus exemplified serving. And it says, after washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord... And you're right, because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. Verse 15, he says, I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth, slaves are not greater than their master. Nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. And might I add, in between those lines there, they're equal. We're in Christ and Christ is in us. We didn't deserve to be placed in Christ. But he saw to it that we are seated with him in heavenly places. And if Jesus came to earth and served, do we think we're going to get out of it? Do you think he's going to exempt us from serving? Is he still serving right now? Yes, he is. He's serving. He's serving. And then he served. Let me me finish the, the scripture there. He says, I'll tell you the truth. Slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. Again, he's pointing to not the knowledge of these things is is not going to bless you. But when you put into action what you know and what you've learned from my example, then you're going to be blessed. So Jesus served and then he taught them what he was doing. So it it was a show and tell, right? So when we serve each other, 
we're following Jesus. There's three things about serving I want you to write down. Number one, when we're serving each other, we're following Jesus. Number two, serving's dirty. (laughs) Jesus wrapped the towel around himself and got down on his knees. You know? He got down where the dirt was. And it was hard work. That's number two. It was dirty and it's hard work. Serving is dirty and it's hard work. You can't paint a beautiful picture of it until you see the end of it. Right? And number three, the third thing about serving that Jesus is pointing out here is uh, those feet are going to get dirty again. So serving never ends. Right? You hear moms and wives say, is it all I do to clean up after you? It never stops, right? And all the women said, Amen. and the yard work, guys. All I do is seem to cut the grass and rake the leaves, and does it ever end? <laughs> Amen. The work, it never ends. Serving never ends. This attitude of humility. Humility is seen behind the curtains and when the spotlight is turned off. Jesus was working behind the curtains. There were many times that he, he told people, don't even tell, tell them who I am. He didn't want the spotlight. So we can say humility is seen behind the curtains and when the spotlight is turned off. Let's look at the word servitude. Servitude. Defining servitude. It's the state of being a slave or completely subject to someone more powerful. That's the definition of servitude. The state of being a slave or completely subject to someone more powerful. Now we know from the history of our United States of America that slavery is wrong. It's bad. Right? We've seen the effects of slavery making someone do something against their will and in, in, enslaving them beyond their will. This is bad, right? But bond slavery is not bad. Bond slavery, to be a bond servant or a bond slave, says, I've been bought with a price, and so I belong to my master. I serve him willingly, right? And for a Christian to be a bond servant of Christ, a bond slave of Christ, means that I belong to Christ. And I serve Christ. And I watch how he served, and I follow his example. The world's definition of a bond servant is a person bound in service without wages. But that's the world's definition. The kingdom of God definition is... Uh, someone whose will, this, this word doulos, the word Greek word for bondservant, that Paul says, I'm a bondservant of Christ. The Greek word is doulos, and that word doulos means uh, that uh, one whose will is swallowed up in the will of another. One whose will is swallowed up in the will of another. Another definition of a bondservant is a person that is bound in service to God with exceeding wages that continue to increase throughout eternity. (laughs) What an investment. 
A bondservant is bound to his master unto death. A bondservant has no rights. I have the right to relinquish my rights to Jesus. He has the right to tell me what to say and to show me what to do. To totally own me. Does that describe the life that we live in him and for him? I want nothing except what he wants for me. Totally serving at his pleasure. Right? It's my pleasure. My pleasure gets wrapped up in his pleasure. My will gets wrapped up into his will. And as we serve the body of Christ, we're saying that we're willingly ready to do whatever the Lord would ask us to do to grow his kingdom. I lose my will when I choose his will. There's always the test of the will. We always get to that place where we say, I'll do it, but I don't want to do it. And every time we get to that place, it's an opportunity to grow. It's an opportunity to surrender. It's an opportunity to submit. It's an opportunity to say, Father, not my will, but your will be done in my life. You know best. And I choose to follow you. So there's two things that are needed in being a bondservant of the Lord. Two things. A right heart and a right attitude. A right heart, the right heart and a right attitude. The right heart and the right attitude puts others before myself. To put others before myself. It deals with your motives and it deals with your mind. Dealing with your motives and dealing with your mind. Because I found out that when, when my heart is right, it's easier to get my head right. If this is a daily and even an hourly thing that must take place. An adjustment. An adjustment. I have to adjust my attitude. My motives and my mind. I think I've shared this before, but, you know, I have two big standard poodles, and they like to go walking. And they tell me when they like to go walking. <laughs> and in a way, they're asking me to serve them. But, and, and I was, I was uh, uh, complaining about it at first. That was three years ago. And the Lord corrected me and showed me that there were many things that I could do while walking are two standard poodles. Well, first he showed me the benefits of getting out and walking for 30 minutes. And it's not just a leisurely pace. I mean, these dogs want to gallop and run and sniff everything in sight. So I'm constantly like this, all over the place. So it's exercise. 30 minutes is better than sitting on the couch for 30 minutes watching something that I, uh, on a rerun that I've already watched 50 times, right? And then I have this little thing called the, the, the iPhone, and I have ear pods, and, and I plug them in and put them in, and I can listen to books. I can listen to praise and worship music and worship all of the neighborhood. I can pray for my neighbors as I go past their house. There's many things that I can do. When I adjusted my attitude 
And I have to keep that constantly in check, guys. It's a constant adjustment. How about you? Humility. Here's the point of it. Humility is not a natural thing. It's a supernatural thing. The flesh says this. I will not serve anyone but myself. But the spirit says this. I was created to serve others before myself. You hear the difference? The flesh says, I'm not going to serve anybody but myself. And the spirit says, I was created to serve others before myself. And when you have that attitude of servitude, there's a humility there. And your mind and your heart are in agreement with God's plan and God's will. And serving becomes a pleasure. It's my pleasure to walk my dogs. Because I've seen so many things that the Lord has shown me just by walking my dogs. Now, I should, it sounds like I should make a plea right now for people to come over to my house and walk my dogs. <laughs> But maybe you need your own dog and maybe adjust your own attitude like we all have to do, right? It's, a, it's an hourly thing, you know. It's a spiritual discipline, a spiritual discipline. And I know that that can seem uh, like work, and it is, adjusting that attitude. Here's three ways, guys, this morning to find pleasure in serving. Everybody say, it's my pleasure. To serve. Look at your neighbor and say, it's my pleasure to serve you. Look at your other neighbor. Say, it's my pleasure to serve you. Now, for the next, the remainder of the message, you think of how your neighbor can serve you and then tell them. Listen, my goal really is to be the most, the, the, the servingest church that I know of. We should be the, the, the most pleasurable serving church that we know, right? Yes. Here's the three ways to, to find pleasure in serving. Number one, look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. Jesus uh, gave up his will. He gave up his will. His will was swallowed up in the will of the Father. And Jesus gets pleasure... When he sees his prayers answered. Look at this verse in 1 John chapter 3. His will was swallowed up in the Father. 1 John 3.16 out of the New Living Translation says, We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. Thank God for the example of Jesus. I mean, he, he said himself, What I've done now you do. You follow me, and the way that I've served you, now you serve one another. He gave up his life for us, so we ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Very good question. Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. So the more that we look at Jesus, the more we see his example, and the more real that it becomes to us, 
it, it moves us into a place of serving with pleasure. It's not because I have to, it's because I get to. That is our attitude. That is where the change happens. When our eyes are fixed on Jesus and we realize what he did for us, that he didn't have to. He chose to. And so when we choose to and we adjust our attitude and we, we look at our motives and we, 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 we put on the mind of Christ and we gird up our loins and we bend our knee and we love one another like Christ loves us, that serving brings pleasure. But not only pleasure, it brings eternal results. It expands the kingdom of God, but it expands the, the, the riches and the treasures because there's a very practical side to the Word of God. This is not just pie in the sky, guys. Everything that we do on this earth that He's told us to do, motivated by love, counts for all of eternity. Number two. Another way to find pleasure in serving is do something for the least. Matthew 25, 35, the New Living Translation. Jesus said, for I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing and I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. And then these righteous ones will reply, Lord... When did we ever see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? Or a stranger and show you hospitality? Or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick and in, or in prison and visit you? Let me just pause there and say to you that there have been many times in your life where you've helped people and you didn't even realize that you were being directed by the Lord. Because there will be a day where you say, when did we do that? But it flows from you. Because you're created in the image and likeness of God and one with Christ if you're born again. If you're born again, you're one with Christ. And our very nature has been changed. We're new creatures created in Christ Jesus to do good works. And when we give a cold cup of water to a little one that can't repay us, think about think of the many things that you've done. I, I, I know that there's somebody in here that has given money to a relative that has mistreated you, that has talked bad about you. Your kindness was not returned. They took advantage of you. They slandered your name. They mistreated you and hurt you. But as you did it to the Lord, there's reward. As you did it to the Lord, there's pleasure. Don't look to other people for that pleasure. Don't look to others for that reward. Know, know this right now, if you've been dealing with that, that the Lord sees what you did. And he's saying right now, in the middle of your life on earth... Well done, thou good and faithful servant. 
Look for things to do for people who can't pay you back. When was the last time that you did something for someone that, that, can't, that can't possibly pay you back? When was the last time? If you can't think of it that quick, then it was, it was too long ago. Right? Make it a part of your daily prayer. You pray like this, Lord, remind me. Remind me today and every day. Remind me to serve. To serve others. To do something for somebody else that, that can't repay me. And, and when you find yourself in the middle of that, the Lord will remind you, this is what you prayed about. And that's the moment that pleasure will fill your heart. Right? And that joy, that joy that fills you, propels you to the next, can I borrow a, a term from the world? Random act of kindness. Don't you see that the world gets pleasure out of doing random acts of kindness? How much more should we, as the body of Christ, be doing purposefully acts of kindness to one another? Whether you can pay me back or not. Right? So find pleasure in serving, doing things for others that have no ability to repay you. Number three, keep opening doors. Keep opening doors. Guys, you, you, you can connect with this. I was, you know, raised in the South in a time where there's extreme chivalry. And I'm a chivalrous person. And I like to hold the doors. And so I hold the doors. Any other guys hold doors? It's a good thing to hold doors. And all the guys said, amen. amen. All the women said, amen. amen. So many times I get stuck holding the door. You've been at restaurants and you've held the door for like 20 people and you're like, I'm really hungry here. Uh, could you get me a, uh, order me a iced tea and a, <laughs> and you're still holding the doors and everybody's coming through. Hi. And they think that you work there, right? Have you, have you faced that? <laughs> What's the special for the day? <laughs> Listen, when you hold the door for somebody else, you're encouraging people to hold the doors for others. <laughs> Keep holding the doors. Look at this scripture here. Keep holding the doors. Uh, turn over to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter 5. 1 Peter 5. People notice when you're, hope, when you're holding the door. Listen to this. Leonard Bernstein, the composer and conductor, said this. Or he, he, was asked, he was asked this question. He was probably asked many, 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 many times. They asked him, what is, what is the hardest instrument to play? And without hesitation, he replied, second fiddle. I can always get plenty of violinists. But to find one who played second fiddle with as much enthusiasm or second French horn or second flute, now that's a problem. And yet, if no one plays second fiddle, we have no harmony. Think about that. Here's 1 Peter 5, 5. This is the Amplified Bible, guys. It says, Likewise, you who are younger and of lesser rank, be subject to the elders the ministers and spiritual guides of the church. 
giving them due respect and yielding to their counsel. Clothe or apron yourselves, all of you, with humility as the garb of a servant so that its covering cannot possibly be stripped from you with freedom from pride and arrogance toward one another. For God sets himself against the proud, the insolent, the overbearing, the disdainful, the presumptuous, the boastful, and he opposes, frustrates, and defeats them, but he gives grace, favor, blessing to the humble. Say, the Lord gives me grace. Because I clothe myself with humility. <laughs> Clothing ourselves with humility. Think about when we clothe ourselves. It's every day, right? And we're so blessed in this nation, we, we don't, probably none of us in this room have to wear the same clothes day after day after day after day after day. So every day we change our clothes, but every day we put on clothes and we clothe ourselves. So every day we must humble ourselves. James says, if we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, he will exalt us in due time. Right? Humility doesn't just happen. It is something that is very purposeful. And it's the foundation of serving. And the word says that we're not supposed to think higher of ourselves than we should. But it doesn't tell, our, uh, tell us to put ourselves down either. We need to think of others before we think of ourselves. That's the mindset of a servant. That is servitude. To have an attitude to serve, thinking of others before you think of yourself. And I've got another scripture for those who say, you know what, I'm tired of holding the door. Acts chapter 20. I'm tired of holding the door. Will somebody else please take the door? I can say that with enthusiasm because I've been there. How many more people are going to come through this door? Here's what Paul said in response to how much longer do I have to hold the door? Acts 20 and verse 35, the New Living Translation says, And I have been a constant example. That word constant means never giving up persevering, never changing of how you can help those in need by working hard. You should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It is more blessed to give than to receive. And there's four things that I see from that verse that I'm going to give to you and then, then we're going to pray. Paul understood, number one, that he had to remind himself of the words of Jesus. He had to remember what Jesus said. And he's reminding us of what Jesus said. Number two, Paul knew that serving produced a blessing. Number th the third thing that Paul recognized was helping the weak requires hard work. And he also knew how to build leaders because the fourth thing that he knew from this very verse he knew that leading requires show, showing others by your constant actions. So this morning, it's my pleasure to serve you. I truly hope that you've been nourished, strengthened by the word. Not only strengthened, 
but you took hold of it. Because taking hold of the living word of God causes life change beginning in your heart. Right? It's the revelation of God's word concerning serving that causes us to be moved with compassion in order to serve. Father, I just pray for everyone in here right now that we would see each other like you see us.